This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Here is your host, Chris Swain. Today on the podcast, we have a topic that is quite intriguing. Like when I hear this title, I think of a movie, an action movie starring your favorite action star, whoever that may be uh, these days. The Rock is pretty standard, so I always envision him in any action movie. (laughs) But the title we have is How to Steal the Priesthood. How to Steal the Priesthood. And so it's an intriguing title because, one, I think some people are like, what is the priesthood? And then, two, how in the world do you steal something like the priesthood? I think it's intriguing. And we've got a lot of information, so I'm not going to set it up very long. I think we need to dive right in to how do you steal a priesthood? Well, and most people didn't even know the priesthood was stolen. <laughs> so. that's, that's even, yeah, that's, it's even more intriguing is what are you talking about? Yeah, I didn't know the priesthood was stolen. Now, before we get into this, because this is going to be that long history lesson, some of you say, I, I don't think I need this. But listen, this may be the most beneficial teaching setting up the coming of Jesus that you've ever tuned in for. I'm just telling you, and that's a bold statement, Chris, I know. But when I heard some of the things I'm going to tell you uh, for the first time not long ago, I thought, why have I been a Christian for 15 years, 14 years, and never heard this before? Am I right, Jonathan Simon? Am I right, Colton All? He is shaking his head. I will also agree. I've never heard of it before until you talked about it. Um, And and it was kind of, uh, it was shocking in the sense that it made a lot of sense once I learned it. Yeah. Like it deep. And that's the whole purpose of this podcast. It deepened my understanding of God's word. It deepened my understanding of a lot of passages that deal with um, this whole element and, and thinking about how everything kind of went, you know, when you read Malachi, suddenly it all makes a lot more sense. So uh, let's, let's get into it. What is it and why and how, and exactly how do you steal a priesthood? Okay, so we got to remember what the Bible says about Jesus coming, right? Uh, Galatians 4, 4 is the proof text when it says, do you remember, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, okay? So the question is, why did Jesus come when he did? Now, one of the things we have to remember is Jesus was not born on 0 AD. This is a big one. This is right. That's always a messed up. It's an elementary yeah. one, but it's a pretty big one because a lot of people don't understand this. Can he's you not, explain that one to me? That okay, one always not, Yeah, I know. Okay, here's why. He can't. He's not born on zero A.D. because he dies at, on thirty A.D. Okay, so we have we okay. can document when he dies from cross reference okay. history. So Jesus dies at thirty A.D. Uh, he's believed to be 33. The reason we believe that is it says around 30, he starts his ministry. Track no, So you probably say, well, how, how do we know he's 33? Based on the festival calendar. So we can follow the Passover festival calendar and we can determine he's either with the disciples two and a half years or three and a half years, depending on where you want to go. I, I think it's I think it's irrelevant either way. I think it's, it doesn't matter if it's two and a half or three and a half. But the point is, he dies at 33 years old. Now, back that up. For him to die at 33 years old, he was born, in my opinion, 4 B.C. Mm. You don't count the zero. <laughs> Somebody like, four? That doesn't... There's no year there. Yeah, right? there's no year there. So you count it backwards. It's kind of hard because you count backwards and then forward, okay? So 
But I want to take you back, Chris, to the year 167. Wow. See. We're going, we're going way back. We're going way back. And based on our last podcast, so if you missed the last two podcasts about Hellenism, make sure you go back and pick those up because that's going to set the stage for how we lost the priesthood or how they lost the priesthood as a nation. Okay. That's so Chris, pop quiz. Hellenism, oh, boy. similar to Hollywood. Correct. It's connected in four ways. They took over oh, the world. My God. Yes, I know it's early. We they took over the world in four ways. Not by you power. Think I start or writing this down. Well, it's on your brain. So let's see if the Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance at a proper time. The four one, areas in which Hellenism took over the culture and dominated. I'm gonna go with athletics. That's one. Information. Two. Education. Yes, three. And entertainment. Yes, number four. This guy's got it. I would never forget that again in my life. You never. (laughs) You may forget Bible verses. You will not forget the Hellenism. That's right. Okay, so Hellenism uh, starts off around the 300 BC mark, 313 BC, and then it kind of perpetuates where now you have Greek leaders in uh, in Palestine, in Israel, controlling the community. And then the Romans take over, and the Romans begin to set up these temples uh, or these these worship centers, as they call them, with their own Greek gods. You got to remember, the God of Israel does not dwell in tabernacles made by hands, meaning he's not a statue you worship. That that he's very different than the Greek gods. But what they do is they worship statues. They worship uh, gods and goddesses. So. Uh, December 6, 167 BC, a man by the name of Antioch Epiphanes. Now, let me explain the word Epiphanes in, in, in English, translated. Uh, he called himself this. He was a very humble man. He called himself God, Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus, God manifested. <laughs> Sounds very, very humble. Swain the Savior, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like very humble, man, yeah. so just refer to me as Antioch as God manifested in your presence, right, so he's a very humble man, but what he did is he set up a system that defiled the temple, now 167 BC is the year, three things happen in the temple where the Jewish nation says enough is enough, okay, mm. the first thing that happens is this, they begin to sacrifice pigs on the altar of God. Mm. That's a no-go. Now, I will say, I I do have a heart for those who love bacon. Ooh. But are they eating the bacon after they sacrifice it? I guess that's my question, really. Yeah. So your question is not a question of uh, proper sacrifice. It's uh, dietary etiquette. My question is completely irrelevant. Yeah, totally irrelevant. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sure they ate it, but they sacrificed pigs on the altar. The second thing they did is they basically erected this Zeus statue in the temple. They basically built or or imported this statue of Zeus, you ready for this, and placed it in the temple. Now, a lot of people will say, why why is that such a big deal? Chris? It seems like a big deal to me. Like, I would not say, why is that a big deal? I would assume, hey, you're taking the holy place of God, and you're putting a different God inside of it. Yes, but, but, but here's the thing. It goes back to the first commandment, you remember? Mm-hmm. Which was, you shall have no, no other God, and no you shall God. not make a carved image 
Oh, I love worship. Okay. So you have those commandments there to prevent that. And another thing, and here's the thing that's going to shock you. So you need to prepare yourself for what I'm going to tell you, because I assume most people, when I share this, have never heard this before and you'll want to go fact check it. And you can, you can go look online and look through some books. I think I even put a footnote in one of the books. I think it's the here and now book. I have a footnote of where I found this. Uh, but you can search the Bible, and the Bible will show you this. But most people don't realize that after the Babylonian captivity, Chris, okay, mm. let's just put on your uh, thinking caps. Let's give you a picture. The, 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 the temple of Israel was divided into two sections, okay, actually three sections. You have the court, the outer court, which, which basically contained two things. Do you want to go here or should I just go here? I think you need to power on through. Okay, let me I power will, on through. I will ride along. I was going to ask for input, but that may take a while. Okay. Um, the, the first thing is uh, the, the, the bronze laver uh, or, the, or the place to wash your hands. So that's right. the first element you see as you walk up to the temple. The second thing you see is the altar. Okay. And this is not the altar of incense. This is the actual barbecue pit, in a sense, where they brought the animals and sacrificed them outside of the temple people have to realize this outside of the holy place and the holy of holies the second part is the holy place this is actually going into the building this had three more pieces of furniture do you know what they are chris quickly uh i i cannot confirm that okay the table of bread <laughs> table of bread a place to eat and you got to remember when god set up the temple he set it up like a home the jewish people always looked at the temple as the big house and their mm -hmm. homes as the little house, which should ma match the big house, right? So they modeled themselves after God's temple. The second thing you would assume to have in a home is not only a table, but a light. So you have the menorah to, your, to, to the adjacent wall. And then in front of you, you have the altar of incense, which is a, a way to create an aroma in there, which was a picture of prayer. And then the last section of the temple, follow me, is the Holy of Holies. So you have the holy place, and the Holy of Holies. And at this section, you have the seventh piece of furniture, which is the what? You got to get this one. Oh, the seventh boy. piece of the furniture yeah. in the Holy of Holies, Chris. Does it involve incense in any way? No, it involves an ark. Oh, my goodness. Well, I missed that one. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, that's pretty easy. I'm still, hey, I'm still reeling from getting the Hellenism uh, question correct. And yeah, so I'm going okay, to I get it. No, I get it. I get it. Okay, so, so you have the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the thing, and we'll go to break. This is what, this is what I think will <laughs> catch you off guard. Did you know that from the time of the Babylonian captivity, which is roughly the 4th century B.C., okay, 5th, 4th century B.C., um, the Ark of the Covenant was removed by the Babylonians never to return again. Hmm. Let, me, let me repeat that so you hear what I'm Get saying. It. Go ahead. Repeat okay. it. Here, here it is. I need to hear it a second time. In the fourth century, the Babylonians came in and took the Ark of the Covenant with them, and it never goes back again. You're probably saying, well, show me some biblical ref reference for this. Well, I'm glad you asked. Jeremiah 3.16 Jeremiah says, the Lord says to the people through Jeremiah, no longer will you say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It won't even be on your minds. You won't remember it. It will not be missed. Here's the key. And another one will not be made. And the punishment mm. for disobedience in the form of disobedience to the laws, but more importantly, disobedience to the Sabbath. That's why I think the punishment came. 
they were they were they lost the ark of the covenant which was the presence of god now let's fast forward into the day of jesus isn't it interesting that when jesus comes on the scene the priesthood is so corrupt and still functioning and yet at the same time there is no ark of the covenant for them as a nation to go mm -hmm. into and have their sins forgiven on the day of atonement on yom kippur on any of the days they go in or Passover, there is no ark in there. So the question is begged to be asked, what's in the Holy of Holies? And the answer is... Wait, let's not give that answer until we take a quick break. Do you have a vision for the groups in your church but don't know how to make it happen? Replicate's Group Ministry Masterclass is a one-stop course to help you create, launch, and sustain your group's ministry. These training videos, implementation exercises, and resources will guide you to create your own group's playbook that is unique to your context. You can access this masterclass today at replicate.org groups. And we're back talking about what is in, I, I believe we're talking about what is in the Ark of the Covenant. Because, I mean, I, I thought that's what you said, but then I, I immediately Holy of Holies. thought of Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. See, I was thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark right, right. out of the gate. Right. As soon as you your mind that, went most there. people get their theology about the Ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark, unfortunately. And yeah, and it got lost. So this is pretty accurate. Right? Uh, I mean, it, it, it used an accurate story to branch off and tell something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So drum roll. What was in the Holy of Holies at the time of Jesus when the priests would go in there once a year, at least on the Day of Atonement? And the answer was, I think I know. What? Nothing. 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 <laughs> there was nothing in there. Nothing. Now, you have to believe. Now, did the townspeople know what was going on? I, I don't know. But I do know the priesthood had to know. And they had to know that something was different now and that God was mm -hmm. changing some things on them. Now, here's what I find fascinating. And when you understand this, I told you to hang on early on, you will appreciate what I'm about to say. When Jesus dies on the cross on the hill of Golgotha, at the moment of Jesus' death, when he gives up his spirit, the Bible says something happens simultaneously in the temple, particularly in the Holy of Holies. Now, let me just give you another picture. There are two curtains that segment the court from the holy place and the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Okay, so two curtains there. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, the curtain that tore was the curtain that separated the people from God, which was the inner curtain, okay? Now, yes. why was the inner curtain tearing important? Don't miss this. I think what God is saying is not that now you just have access to me and you don't need a mediator, the high priest. I think he did say that, and I think that's important. But I think what he's also doing, you're going to love this, is exposing the hypocrisy of the high priesthood once and for all you understand, to rip that curtain, it was multiple layers, multiple, 15 yeah. layers of a curtain, just layer yeah. after layer. They couldn't patch this thing up and fix it. This was a big deal. And God says, I'm exposing your hypocrisy. Another thing is this. When, when a father in the Jewish culture or a leader would mourn the mm -hmm. death of a family member or a friend David, when he lost Jonathan, if you remember, he ripped his garment. The high priest, when he gets mad at Jesus, although for the wrong reason, rips his garment. Mm -hmm. 
when a priest or a father rips their garment, they're doing it for one reason. You ready for this? They're in anguish over the loss of a family member or a friend. Yeah. If you go to a Jewish funeral today, even today, they wear something, I think it's called a, a kippah or it's a certain name. I don't have it offhand, but it's a piece of torn ribbon. Chris, I don't know if you've seen this before. They wear a piece of torn ribbon pinned to their jacket. Did you know this? I think I remember vaguely you sharing something about this in some story we talked through years ago. Okay. So basically, no, you don't remember any. Okay. I do. I do remember. (laughs) So basically they tear, they have ripped pieces of, of, of a garment and they hand them out and people pin them to their shirt. Why? Because the ripped garment signifies anguish, despair, and being bothered over the loss of a person. Now let's go back to Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. He dies. At the same time, the veil rips. Now, again, is it the separation between man and God done once and for all? Absolutely. That's true. Is it uh, access to God once and for all? Absolutely. Is it uh, the corrupt priesthood is being exposed? Absolutely. But here's what I think a Hebraic audience hears first. Remember, we're Western Christians. We're always trying to have individual personal salvation with God about me. God's going to make my life better. I'm going to have my best life now. That is not the way the nation would have thought. Remember, salvation for the Jewish people, we may have to do a whole podcast on this, was never just personal and individual. It was corporate and community-driven. Now, let that sit in. Hmm. Salvation was never, how can God save me? The question was, how can God save who? Us. 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 So, you ready for this? When the veil is torn, consider this, in the temple, and Jesus dies on the cross, I think what's happening here is, which is interesting to think about, I think what we're seeing is a loving father who is in despair over the loss of his one and only son. And you see God, in a sense, taking his veil, his garment, if you will, and ripping it from the top down. That's interesting. It doesn't say the bottom up. Another reason for that is this. If it was from the bottom up, then people would have said, well, the priest did it. You got to understand, this curtain was like 20-something feet high. This thing was enormous. You could not get to the top and do this. People had to come in and say, this is something only God could do. Hmm. And so God rips the veil. I think it's so cool. And in the ripping of the veil, what we see is a father who is in anguish over his son, his one and only son. And I think for years, Chris, Christians miss that. Don't you, don't you agree? Yeah, I think the number one connection there is God is saying there's no more disconnect. There's no more uh, need of a priest between the two of us uh, with the sacrifice of his son. But those additional layers, and once again, just strengthen our faith and help us see. Um, and, and so I think that's powerful. And so how does that connect into or tie into stealing the priesthood you know getting back to that original question how do you steal a priesthood yeah well let me give you one insight before i forget here's the word i I had to look it up the word for the tearing which is the hebrew word korea k-r-i-a-h k-r-i-a-h korea it refers to the act of tearing one's garment or cutting a black ribbon worn on one's clothes it symbolizes anguish and Mm. despair. 
Now, what does this have to do with the priesthood? We didn't get to the priesthood, so we'll have to do it next week. But here's what we did get to. As usual. <laughs> As usual. But why rush, too much good stuff. why rush history we've never heard about? We can't, we can't rush the good stuff as yeah. much as we may want to. Well, but here's the thing that's going to happen. Let me put a period on this. Antiochus Epiphanes is going to lead a revolt that mm. many of you as Western Christian Americans have heard about, but mm. you don't know much about. And the name of that revolt is led by a family. Now, the question we're going to ask next week as we come back is, what is the name of the family who led the revolt to take back the temple to have a working temple at the time of the arrival of Jesus. You have to understand, for Jesus mm. to die at such a time as this, there has to be a fully functioning, working temple in Jerusalem in order for him to die as the sinless sacrifice for the transgressions of the world. That's powerful. And I think uh, as, we, as we continue to walk through this, uh, we have not yet unveiled, to th throw a pun out there, we have not yet unveiled the, uh, the very interesting and intriguing. We, some, we've, we've talked about some of it, but when you hear this next podcast, it is shockingly interesting in, in the fact that it will also impact, I think, how you, again, read the word and apply the word. So as always, you know, it's, it's many, many layers, not just one thing that we're looking at when we walk through God's word. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast today. There's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and we appreciate you choosing ours. Check out the show notes on replicate.org. Next week, we will get back into and wrap up, uh, hopefully, uh, no promises, but I think we can, uh, how to steal the priesthood. Uh, you can check us out on social media at Replicate Men, Replicate M-I-N, and then on Facebook at Replicate Ministries. Share the podcast. Do us a favor and rate the podcast. Tell a friend about it right now via text if you don't mind. And until next week, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.